Well, good morning, 11 a.m. How are we doing today? Any uh, turkey hangovers right now still? Leftovers? It was a great weekend. No, uh, you were not at my house then, so we're still living off that. It's great to see you guys on this Thanksgiving weekend. Um, if you're brand new with us inside your program, there's a note sheet. Why don't you pull that out? My name's Dave Cox, one of the pastors, and uh, glad to be with you today. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Well, Lord, today as we, uh, as we get ready to open the Word of God, we love the fact that there's a promise with it, it that your Word does not return void. Even scriptures we've read before, there's something fresh in it. There's something new. It's how you work. And so we invite that in our own lives individually. So this service is yours. Use it. Direct it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to take you back to when I was in college, and I was invited to go help out at a high school camp. It's a Christian camp that they were doing. It was in uh, Northern California. Um, Any of you ever worked with youth before, students, youth? Okay. Well, this was my first rodeo. So I went up, and I I was joining up. I was pretty excited. Because at Biola, I was minoring in Bible. I had all this information. I was getting all this great knowledge. I was so hungry to give stuff away. So I was excited that I'd go to a Christian camp because these students are obviously going to be hungry for God, hungry for the things of God. So I thought. And so I make my way up there. And we started out and we gathered um, with all the people who would be camp counselors that week, which basically means that we would spend the night in the cabins. Uh, We'd lead like cabin discussions at night based off the messages that were there pray for students, um, encourage them, mentor them, disciple them for that week, and invest in them, whatever that looks like. So we gathered with all these camp counselors, and we're huddled up, and we begin to pray and ask God that his hand would be on that week. And we prayed. And I can tell you this, it was one of those times where when you pray, you could sense the presence of God fall on that place. And it was really powerful. It was really fun. I didn't know most of the people that were there. But we were all united in purpose and just to give our lives for the kids that week that were coming up there. So we had prayed, and it's pouring down rain. So I make my way back to the cabin. We had got word. The buses were here. Dropped them off. We're going to go meet our students that were there for that week. So I am making my way to the cabin. And through the rain, I can begin to make out my cabin. And, but it's, there's like a disaster out front of my cabin. I can see it. Uh, it looks like some, a shirt over here, a couple shirts over there, pants over here, a pillow over there. Uh, like, what is going on? So my mind is already flashing. Some kid's having an awful week already. It's like something happened. As I get closer, I'm really, no, no, that, that is my shirt. Those are my pants, and that is my pillow, my sleeping bag, and it's in the mud, in the rain. I remember putting my hand on the door, not, like, I got to walk into this now, like, I'm walking in, and I'm not, I really felt like I was in way over my head. I'd not gone through training. No one prepped me for anything like this. I'm ready for hungry students that want to learn something. I was not remembered for, or ready for what I was about to walk into for that week. But I can tell you this, that week was pivotal. Um, and I can tell you, I, I was feeling this, that preparation really matters. And how you live each day really matters. I felt that highlighted that week immensely. That theme of the importance of today, that, that theme of how important we live our lives, how it matters and how it counts is a theme that's going to trickle all the way through the message today. We're continuing on a series. It's called Sent Through the Storm. If you're new with us, it's a fifth mini-series and a longer series called Sent that we've been doing based off a book, of, a book called Acts in the New Testament, which follows a book called Luke, one of the Gospels. And The way Luke ends, Jesus is crucified, dies, he raises from the dead. 
he, li- he appears to hundreds of people. And the book of Acts picks up after that moment. And then you have believers gathered. And the Holy Spirit falls on them early on in the book of Acts. And they are emboldened and they begin telling the story of Jesus. His death, his resurrection. He's God in the flesh, came, died, and he rose. Thousands of people in Jerusalem accept Christ. And this movement of Jesus begins exploding. It, it has heavy opposition all over the place. People paid a big price for following Christ. But this movement continued to spread from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. Took the Roman Empire in about a 30-year span. And that's what the book of Acts follows. And so Paul went out on these Jesus-sharing expeditions city to city. And it, where we're at now in the book of Acts, he has come back to Jerusalem where it all started. To that first church that got kicked off there. And when he gets back to Jerusalem, he gets falsely accused of starting a riot in the city of Jerusalem. So they arrest him. So he's now arrested. This theme in our series, uh, Through the Storm, you're going to see how God uses this time of imprisonment of Paul to still advance this movement, even through this level of opposition. Through literal storms, metaphorical storms of life, it continues to move. Well, what we see happen, he gets arrested. He's transferred to another city about 65 miles away. He goes before this Roman governor named Felix. And as he stands before Felix, Felix says, well, what do you say? Are you guilty or not guilty? And he says, I do have a confession to make. And he says, I confess of this. I didn't do the riot. It's not what I did. But I do confess to be a follower of the way. I do confess to you that I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and I confess, I believe he's coming again, and I confess that I know that we will all stand before him. Boom, he just laid it down. Acts 24, take a look at it in your Bible, open it up, 24 verse 15. We're gonna pick up here where Paul is talking to Felix, and he's saying these things. Verse 15 says, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. You ever considered that? Why would God raise the righteous and the wicked? You'll understand that more later. Verse 16, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. There is a day of resurrection. Um, There is a day that we're going to stand before God. Michael, last week in his teaching, talked about the fact that the resurrection brings hope. Because Jesus rose, we have hope. It's a radical thing that happened. We have hope in Jesus. And because of the resurrection too, it demands a response from us. And thinking like, I'm just not gonna give a response. No response is a response. But it's it's such a monumental uh, moment of history where he died for the sins of all, calling for us all to turn from him. It's a moment in time that's huge. If you're not a follower of Christ and you're spiritually seeking, Um, and you're here this weekend, a lot of people travel this weekend, who knows, maybe you're here and you're seeking. I would encourage you to do this. Start with examining the claims of Christ. Look at Christianity. Look at followers of Christ, what scripture says. It is the easiest faith system to disprove because there's so many historical truth claims. If it were false, it would be easy to find out because it makes way too many statements in fact. In fact, many people have set out to disprove it. 
Many people have set out to disprove the resurrection as well. Skeptics to write about it. It's fun to read their books now because they were so moved by the evidence that they become followers of Christ. So I would just say, encourage you. Truth is not afraid of hard questions. The Bible is not afraid of hard questions. Go for it. Look into it because eternity weighs on your decision on it. It's huge. Verse 1731. Flip back a couple chapters in the book of Acts and it's, you're going to see another place where it talks about this resurrection and the place of standing before Jesus. In verse 31, it says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this so that everyone, or to everyone, by raising him from the dead. So the end of time, we stand before Jesus as our judge. The question is, what does that mean? What does that look like? Sounds like a pretty significant moment, right? Understanding what that is and what we should be prepared for that moment is a, is a huge topic. Something so significant, it can affect understanding, it can affect our eternity, literally. So this feels like something worth looking into. So anybody curious on finding out what this is? All right, well, let's all find out. Here we go. Future focus, standing before Jesus in your outline. I'm going to bring you to three key scriptures. Um, the first one's in your outline. It's printed out. It's in Romans. It says, verse 10, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? We will all stand, underline all, stand, before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. What we find out in this scripture is that every person who has ever lived stands before Jesus. Everyone's, who, everyone who's ever lived will stand before Jesus. Whether they acknowledged him or disavowed him, acknowledged God, rejected God, all will stand, it says, every knee will bow to him in the end. There is a time when we come and stand there um, and face him. What's different, though, is you understand scripture, the, the time of standing before Jesus looks very different for a Christ follower or someone who's never followed Christ. Christ rejecter. It's very different. In fact, Scripture points it out in a couple different places. They happen at different times as well. Let's talk about those who've rejected Christ. It's in Revelation 20, verse 11. Take a Bible and flip over there. As you're turning there, I'll set this up for you. This is known as the Great White Throne Judgment. It's at the end of time, final phase before eternity, and it's for those who have never chosen Jesus. They've rejected him. And without Jesus, you have to understand, without Christ, they stand in their own merit. In Christ, we stand in the very merit of Christ. When you come to Christ, it says he really, he gives it, the righteousness he has becomes a gift for us. And so therefore, when we stand before the Lord, the merit of Christ is what we stand in. If you don't have Christ, you stand in your own merit. We know from Scripture it's clear. 
We've all sinned and we fall way short of God. So there's not enough good things you could ever do to match up to that, to live up to that. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens, they fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. He uses this imagery of our life being recorded in these books. Followers of Christ, their names are written in a book of life. It's a very different place. We'll talk about that in a second. But the idea is that they stand in their own judgment what they did or didn't do should uh, known or what they should have known at that time. The Lord sees their opportunities and then there's a judgment for them. There's eternal separation from God at that point. In your outline, there's a very common misconception that millions of people live with uh, thinking that in this day, this is how God weighs our life. Look at this quote um, because it kind of dispels the misconception that our good things will make us acceptable in his eyes. It says this by Erwin Lutzer, what binds these millions of people together is the common view that they will be accepted by God on the basis of their goodness. Virtually all the religions of the world teach that if we live moral lives, if we treat our neighbor with respect and we do the best we can, we will be able to save ourselves. That's a misconception. There's no possibility of saving ourselves. We all need a savior. And Christ became sin for us, is what it says when he died on the cross and took our sin. So now for a Christ follower, someone who accepts Christ, you now stand in Christ. The judgment of a Christ follower is at a different time and it looks differently. This is talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. You want to flip over to that. This is known as the judgment seat of Christ. It takes place when Christ returns to take all believers to be with him. And the purpose of this, here's the heart of this. The heart of this, when you hear the word judgment, a lot of people think it's just the strict thing where he's gonna you know, bash you. The heart of this is a judgment for reward. He wants to reward you. All believers will be there before the Lord. And what's being determined is the extent of the rule that we have with him in heaven, what that looks like. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, it says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or we're away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. How I live right here, right now, for my loved ones, for those I care for, for those that I influence, makes a huge difference for our eternity. And scripture says we will rule and reign with him. And what's being determined is the extent of what that looks like. We will all be at one of these judgments or another, either the Christ follower one or Christ rejecter one. The rest of this message, I want to focus on what it looks like for a Christ follower. There are three things you need to really know and understand when you're going to stand before Jesus one day. So this is your preparation for that. First thing I want you to catch is this. Number one, 
For the Christ follower, it's a place of grace. It's a place of grace. When you stand before Jesus, you stand accepted. You gotta catch this, it's huge. Because you're part of a community of believers, you stand accepted. Romans 8.1 says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you know what that means? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, I'm gonna, it, sometimes we have to hear this stuff because it, doesn't, it, will, it messes with our rational mind. It doesn't make sense. We do not stand condemned. The, uh, the picture is this. The wrath of God. When Jesus died on the cross and it says he became sin for us, all of that wrath, all the punishment fell on Jesus. He paid it all. If you think you still have to pay, you minimize what he did on that cross. Do not do that. Don't minimize his work. It's been all paid for on the cross. The most bizarre thought is the person who stands to judge your life is the person who died for your life to give you life. You couldn't be in front of a more loving person that you'll ever meet. That's who you stand in front of. John 3.36 says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. So there's where it is. A Christ rejecter, you fall under the wrath of God because without Jesus, you stand on your own merit. The idea is this, our future is secure. At the judgment seat of Christ, before God, his mighty throne, we are free from the penalty of sin, um, which means we're accountable for our life. But now, you have to understand this. His grace is central. His love is sure. His covenant, it is unshakable. His promise, it's unending. That has never been in question. When you stand before God, your salvation is never up for grabs. You stand in confidence before the one who paid for it. You stand accepted. It is a place of grace. Now, to really understand that is to understand the concept of family. When you come into Christ and you accept Christ, whether you feel it or you do not feel it, at that moment, something shifts radically, and it's your identity. Your identity becomes a child of God, a son or daughter of God. And John 1.12, very famous scripture, points it out. It says, yet to all who received them, him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That means you're in. That means you're part of the family. And the family that you're part of has a God who's more loving than you ever would realize. He is on your side. He would lay his life down for you, and he did. He's for you, and he's with you. Um, I have an eight-year-old son. I love to praise him. I love to try and find things that he's doing well and highlight that. I love to call out his identity, what I see the call on his life, and speak that into his life. That is a pleasure I have as a father. 
I want to speak those things out. I want to call it out. My pleasure is not finding him doing something wrong. Who enjoys that? There's not a joy in that, but I have a role to obviously give discipline, correction as needed, but the heart of a father, I want to praise my son. I want to love my son well. And if you've been in a family where that's been lavished out on you, this concept is an easier one to understand. For many, this is a very confusing concept because your image of a father has been so warped because the father you had did not live out the design of God in your life. And so this is warped. But you have to understand the father in heaven, he lives to give praise to his people, to his children. That's his heart. Jesus does not live and wait for big gotcha moments. His passion is that you would succeed and do well, and he's with you. So he not only saves you, he not only brings you into the family and are part of the family, he does something else. He gives the person of the Holy Spirit to indwell us. What does that do for us? Well, it gives you everything. If the person of God indwells you, it's he whispers to you. He directs you. It's there to give you success in life. The very power of God himself goes with you. Heaven is behind you. He gives you his word to give you counsel. How to go. Do you need to go left or right? What do you need to do? The spirit himself will guide and direct you. He gives you his spirit. So that even when you're acting out and living your life here, the very power of God, the grace of God, is active in your daily living. That means you had grace when you were saved. You have grace today. The very grace to continue pursuing and living your life out for him. We see it in Philippians 2.13. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So God's even working with you so you succeed. So you have to understand, even when he judges you and stands before you, you actually can do this well. He's setting you up for every success possible. That's the heart of God. Paul laid it out in 1 Corinthians where he says, um, I work harder than all, but he says, not I, but it's the grace of God that's in me. Paul laid, just points to the fact that there's grace every day to fulfill what God has called you to fulfill. Jesus laid it out in John where he says, I called you to bear fruit, and it's fruit that remains past this life. Your life is meant to have the fruit and life of God in it. So, you're only being called to be accountable for what he's empowered you to do. It's not unrealistic at all. It's all grace. Grace that saves, leads, and walks with you. So this really means that when you stand before God, his approval is very possible. Not just, for, I'm not saying salvation is up in the air, but just saying where you, he looks at you and he says, well done, how you lived your life. You're so faithful. That's what you live for. First thing to understand, it's a place of grace. Second thing to understand, it is a place of evaluation. It's a place of evaluation. You know, God sees all. Um, the judgment seat of Christ is a place where he evaluates um, how we lived our life. In 2 Corinthians, that scripture I read at the beginning, um, the word for this judgment seat is called the bema in the original language, and it's really like a podium where you receive the first, second, third place ribbon or the dreaded participation medal, right? Um, in 1 Corinthians 9, I'd encourage you to turn there, and in this scripture, it gives you a mindset on how we live our life for this time 
of evaluation. And it says this, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but a crown that will last forever. So there's some benefit that outlives this life if we do this well. Therefore, I don't run like somebody running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is Paul saying he doesn't want to get disqualified for it. He doesn't want to miss out on this race. So he gives an imagery in this scripture that's a really important imagery. And it's this image of racing. Now, in our mind, if we're running this race, we're competing with each other in this race. I want you to take that out of your mind. The race you run is an individual race. You are not competing against everybody else in this room. You are running your own unique race. You have unique opportunities that come your way. You have very unique trials that come your way. How you live your life is what's being evaluated. Does that make sense? A lot of times we compare ourselves with each other and that immobilizes us. How much are you accomplishing versus what somebody else is accomplishing? Everyone has unique giftings, unique trials. All these things come into play. Run your own race. That's what he's looking at. And when we run it, we want to run it in a way to win our own race, which means our race is winnable, that you can actually do this. You can run it and have the pleasure of God at the end where he says, you did it so well. That's what we live for that moment. And how do we do it? He talks about being disciplined in this. Goes into strict training. The way that usually breaks down is into little choices every day. So there's a place when you put yourself before God. You open his word. You're like, let this flow through me. I want to know if I'm on track or off track. You're putting yourself before the Lord. You make small course corrections as he's leading you. That is how this life is lived. It's usually not all huge major decisions, but we put ourselves before God. We listen. We follow. We course correct. In Psalm 19, actually 119, it says, your statues are my delight. They are my counselors. So God will counsel you through your life with this. There's another one too, Psalm 119. Um, and it talks about the word of God. It's, it's like more precious than gold, valuable than silver. And he says, by them your servant is warned and keeping them there's great reward. So God's with you on this evaluation. He wants you to do well. So two big categories of evaluation real quickly. One is, one area of evaluation is, is basically what opportunities, how, what you have done for God. What have you done? That's an area of evaluation. So you have opportunities that have come your way that are unique to you. How have you used those opportunities? If you're a father, a mother, a grandparent in here, that is a very unique opportunity. Nobody else in here can fulfill that role for you. That's part of your unique race. That's unique to you. And that's what you're responsible for. 
All of us are influencers in different circles. That's an opportunity. So how did you utilize that opportunity? With the people around you. How did you live your life among them? What does that look like? That's what we're being evaluated on there. Um, Needs will come across your path. Certain needs come up. We can't meet every need, but the Lord will direct you. There are certain needs that come your way. And did did you participate? Did you move on that? God leads you to move on those things. Those are opportunities God is putting across your race, your path. So we're evaluated on what we've done, our opportunities. We're evaluated on our gifts that we have. We are all gifted differently. We have innate giftings. We have spiritual giftings. We have abilities. Now, you're not evaluated on whether your gift in a specific area is better than someone else's gift. That's irrelevant. You're not, it's like someone is a better writer than you. They're a better mechanic than you. You name it. That's not what you're judged on. Do you realize God gifts you? He knows the measure of your gift. You're not being determined on the measure of your gift. You're being determined if you use the giftings he gave you. That's your unique race. This is why comparison is awful. It gets you looking at the wrong things. So your giftings. Did you use your unique giftings in a way that pleases him and for him? Resources. Your finances, you have a place that you stay, your home, if you have a business, whatever that looks like, how did you use that under the economy of God? Knowledge, we all have knowledge. We're responsible for that. What do we do with it? We live in a place where we carry Bibles around. That was not common for most of humanity. We, we have more access, we're in the information age. We get to go to services, we hear things taught. One of the most dangerous things to do is just sit, soak, and walk away and turn it off. There is a responsibility that we have when we gain knowledge. We don't want to gain knowledge not to act on it. That's actually dangerous. You act on what you know, what you hear. We we hear it so we can live it. That's the heart of God. So that's those are things that the Lord is looking at. One pastor put it this way: He says, think of it like a ruler. As far as this knowledge aspect, if you have been given, let's say, 12 inches of revelation of God, 12 inches of it, end of your life, you stand before God, you lived out 10 of those inches. And when you stand before God, you're going to be so, he's going to have the pleasure of God that majority of your life you lived out in a way that you lived out what you, what you knew and understood. If you've been given a mile of revelation, but you only lived a half a mile of that, you're going to feel the tension at the end when you stand before the Lord, because there's going to be a sense of loss for, oh, I could have done so much more. I missed out. And you're going to feel the reward for how much you did give out to the Lord. So you'll, have, you'll have both experiences there. The place is we want, if God gives you something, we act on what he gives us. That's the heart of God. But not just what you do, but it's also who we are as a people. It can look good on the outside, but God judges the depth of who we are. Uh, veteran missionary to India, Amy Carmichael, said, the work will never go deeper than we have gone ourselves. There's something within us that has to go deep. So God says it's not even just what you do, it's how you do it. He judges the motives of our hearts. Did you ever hear this verse in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5? And he says, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. Well, that's going to be interesting. At the 
at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, how convicting is that? How pure are our motives? Oftentimes, they're mixed, right? We could have mixed motives on things. David was always great with this. He says, God, search me, know my heart, try me, know if there's any anxious way. He said, I just, I want to clean that out because we, we sift so quickly. I mean, we start drifting so quickly and we want to get back on course. But part of it is when we live our life, we want to do it with a motive to live our life for the Lord. And this can play out in a million different ways. Um, I've seen it a lot with people. Sometimes they've had parents who were unrealistic, never felt like they could please their parents. So even sometimes when their parents are gone, dead and gone, they are still trying to live their life for the approval of their parents, for approval they will never have. And thus, they may be chasing dreams they should never be chasing, thus missing the call of God in their life. You get it too with people who in some way never got the approval they wanted from someone in their life. And so now they consistently have this high energy and they will serve everywhere. They will be the first to volunteer for anything, but behind it they are living for the praise and the accolades because they are so desperately wanting something they never got and it's insatiable in a sense, but they're living for praise. The challenge of that, that's so empty. That's kind of your reward right there. The heart of God is, listen, you can relax. You've got all the acceptance now. You don't need to earn an acceptance. Serve out of an overflow and meeting the needs that are around you with the grace of God and be a point of grace. That's why sifting our motives is such a key thing. There's great freedom. Let's say you work with kids. Such freedom when you can walk into the room and you're like, Lord, today I'll just love whoever you bring across my path. Let me speak words of life. Let me be an encouragement, whatever that looks like. And then you just meet the needs God puts across you. God, there's a grace in your life. It's not about striving. Just be in the moment. Be present. And do it with a sense of purity of your heart. So our life, it's an open book test. There's no surprises in this thing. He is with you and he's for you. But there is a place of evaluation, which leads us to number three. It's a place of loss or reward. It's a place of loss or reward. We can lose reward by the sins we commit and the opportunities we squander. Here's a quote in your outline. It says, salvation is guaranteed to those who accept Christ by faith. Rewards are not. Entering heaven is one thing. Having a possession there is quite another. One is the result of faith. The other, the reward for faith plus obedience. Now, there's an amazing word picture in 1 Corinthians that pictures this moment where God weighs our, our reward. And it's a powerful image. I'm gonna read it to you if you wanna follow along. It's in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. It says this, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, Silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet 
will be saved. See, this is not about salvation. Even though only as one escaping through the flames. So the quality of our work, the sum of our life is this image of precious stones, jewels, and then wood, hay, stubble. And in the end, the stuff that burns up is the stuff really is a part of our lives that we squandered. It's gone. The rest of it that you live your life for the Lord and purity of heart, that's what you're giving out. That's what comes back is this image of gold, silver, precious stones before God that you give back to him. Now, in Scripture, it talks about rewards a lot. There's going to be rewards you just never even realized. The Lord is always watching for that because his heart here at this judgment is the lavish reward on you. That's the heart of the Father. Um, a lot of people say, I don't want to be motivated by reward. Well, guess what? He wanted to motivate you with it. So jump in, enjoy this. I think you will as you hear this. You know what it is? It's exciting to know that that's the heart of your father. When you really love someone and you, know, you see the pleasure in their eyes, that is a beautiful reward. And that's the heart behind this. One of the rewards is serving. And even in the smallest things, and this is in Mark 9.41, it's in your outline. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Do you realize any little thing that you do for the Lord or out of purity of heart to care for somebody else is rewarded? If you are a commuter and you stop and you buy someone a meal, the Lord sees that you're rewarded. You're on your way out of here walking out and there's a need. You stop and you pray for someone in need. You may never remember that moment, but the Lord says, I saw it, you were rewarded. You stayed up late to help a friend in need, you're rewarded. Gossip is going on, you choose not to participate, they gossip against you, whatever, you're rewarded. You're a paramedic, and in times nobody noticed, you would whisper words of life and compassion to people. The Lord saw it, you were rewarded. You're a business owner, you took a loss to do the right thing. God sees it, you were rewarded. You're a father and you sacrificed. You worked multiple jobs for your family when they needed it. Times were hard, but you did what you had to. You provided and you loved your family like Jesus would love that family. You were rewarded for all those sacrifices you made. You're a mother who stayed up with a colicky son or daughter through those nights, those terrible nights, trying to sit there. God sees how you, you loved. You were rewarded. You're a student. You had a lot of opportunities and to cheat, to take shortcuts. God sees that you did what you could to honor him in spite of the consequences. You were rewarded for that. You're a teacher and you protected that classroom, created a great environment. You prayed for those kids. They never knew it, but you prayed for them. You were rewarded. If you've ever been financially generous, God sees how you use your finances. You were rewarded for that. You ever show hospitality? You're rewarded for that. You ever just practice the disciplines of being before God, spending time in scripture? He rewards you for that. How good is this? You ever loved your spouse, did well, times were difficult, but you were loved and served. You were rewarded for that. You took time to take people out to coffee or lunch or just share and invest in their life in the Lord. You were rewarded for that. Loving people difficult to love. 
being an intercessor, someone when the door is shut, nobody sees you, late at night, pouring your heart out for God, rewarded. I could go on. You're rewarded. Those are all acts of service that he sees. I love what Rick Howard said. He says, real humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it is thinking of ourselves less. It's a great quote. It's a great secret to living with great reward at the end of your life. I believe this is how God distributes his love in the world. I think it's when we help people who are struggling, when we get someone a meal, you mow a lawn, you just do a simple act of service that's unexpected. It creates a grace of God in our cities. It creates a grace of God for those who are around. I know this for a fact from my grandfather. One of the things that turned him is when someone sat with him with no agenda at the end of his life, that simple act of sitting with him created a grace of God that he became open to the word of God and he accepted Christ. This is how, and, and that's what the Lord, his heart is that he, he wants to bring people in and you are rewarded for every act that you do. So service is rewarded. Persevering under trial is rewarded. I'll say these ones briefly, but Matthew 5 says, Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, they persecute you falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Well, that's an encouraging scripture, right? You're blessed. You know why you're blessed? Because it may not be accounted for in this life, but it will be accounted for in the next life. So we will all have something. You're gonna be insulted. You're gonna be falsely accused. Your reputation will be smeared. Do not expect it to be solved in this life. And if you're consistently living with anger and bitterness, that is a warning sign that you are carrying things you should not carry. We cannot wrong every right. We are not gonna live with a victim mentality. We are overcomers in Christ. So we wanna model what Jesus did, where when we are hurt, insulted, whatever, in a personal way, we will let that go, and we bring all that back to Christ and let him deal with it. He will sort it out so we can walk free, and then we are free to walk with the freedom to bless others again. Otherwise, we carry baggage, and we become more prickly as people. There's a, there's a blessing of just releasing that. Verse 12 says, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward. Listen, we are in training right now. This life is a training ground. He is training us to rule and reign, literally in the next life. Do you realize that? We will be ruling and reigning with him. You are learning laws of the kingdom. Learn these laws quickly so you don't have to keep relearning them in your life, right? So you've got to go through these crazy moments of trial, but you want to respond with faithful obedience and take all your anger and frustration, bring it back to God so you can continue to walk free and get your reward at the end. It'll be beautiful. If you've been overlooked for a promotion because you're honest, relax. You will be rewarded. If you've been unjustly labeled or ridiculed, relax. For great is your reward. Last one I'll share with you is there's, there's a, a reward for sharing Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, this is what his joy will be. For what is our hope, our joy, or crown, in which will glory in the presence of our Lord when he comes? Isn't it you? He's saying, when you get to heaven and you see people you love, that's a reward, right? What a reward. Remember, if you're old enough, before 9-11, 
And you could, family could go through security at an airport. You come down that long runway off of a plane. You remember these really warm receptions you'd see? Running, people hugging, tears, seeing family they hadn't seen sometimes in years. It was always such a fun moment to watch that. And it's such a small little picture of what heaven will be like. People that you've loved, and now they're in heaven because you've shared Christ with them. What a reward will that be? Listen, when you go and when you stand before Jesus, don't we want to look left and right of you and see people in your life that are there? That's the heart of it. There is a reward for that, and it's a beautiful reward, and it's beautiful. If you have prayed for people, and that is a, a, something God's impressed on you, you are part of their salvation. If you've been a little piece of that along the way, sharing with them, being there, being one of the people who points them, that is part of your reward. I told you at the beginning, I was with those students at, the, at that camp, walked in that cabin, and uh, I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to help me on this one, because uh, I didn't know what I should say, but I did do this. Nobody owned it, of course. Nobody's going to own throwing all my clothes in the mud. Sleeping bag, pillow as well. Didn't know how to own that, but I said, listen, here's the ground rules. Here's how we're going to operate. And so I laid some ground rules for that cabin. And I said, listen, I don't know you, you don't know me, but I do know this, God has me here with you, and you are here with me for a week. And I'm not sure why he has that, but you will know this. I will pray for each of you, and we're going to see what God has for us this week. And uh, I went and told my other <clears throat> counselor people, so we all began interceding for the students. But partway through that week, they get notification. One of their friends was killed in an accident. Devastated them. They were all devastated. So now... This time that I had with them, it looks very different. I'm staying up late at night, these kids sobbing, crying, examining their life, thinking about the next life, and it was so beautiful. One by one, these students began accepting Christ. Every student in that cabin accepted Christ, except one that I'm aware of. And it was so powerful. You know what's fun for me? I didn't stay in touch with those students, but I'm sure people prayed for those students long before they got there. Someone paid for their trip to get there, all those pieces, everyone's had a part in that. I had a little part where I got to be with them for that week to pick the cherry at the end of it. I got a little part of that. And know what? I'll be rewarded for that. You know one of my great rewards is to see them again. That's part of my reward. How amazing is this? The Lord will reward you for all those things. It is never in vain. Do not judge your efforts by what you see on the outside. You keep loving and sharing with people and the Lord will reward you. So I'll end with the final question. What can you do today? So we sit in here. God knows you're gonna be here. This is our topic. This has been a sidebar from our regular unpacking of the book of Acts because this topic was too important to keep moving on. The idea is because the next life is real, we live our life for the next life. Today matters. How we live matters. So whatever you're carrying that you need to surrender to God matters for you to stop and examine, well, how am I living my life? What would I wish I would do when I look back in 20 years? What should I do differently? Your moments matter right now. Your life matters. This is a gift that you've been given, the opportunities in front of you, the needs that are around you. How are you gonna spend that? How are you gonna use it? It matters. So I'm gonna encourage you as we worship through this at the end that you begin to ask God those questions. Let's purify ourselves because you are made for the approval of God and where he looks at you and 
to hear those words, well done. He wants that for you. So I'm going to close with a story that I heard from a friend of mine. And he was, my friend was moved and impacted by a guy by the name of Rick Howard. And Rick's story is actually written in a book from one of the authors I referenced today. But he was um, a leader or leading Youth for Christ back in the 60s. And one day he was sitting in his office. And one of his board members stopped by his office. And he says, Rick, I want to talk to you. He says, God's put something on my heart. I want to talk to you. It was a terrible day for Rick. A lot going on. He's like, man, I, I don't have a lot of time. He goes, but, but he saw this passion in his board member's eyes. And so he paused and he began sitting there. And this board member began going through scripture after scripture about what we just talked about, about the judgment seat of Christ, standing before Jesus, one day looking at our life, making sure our life counts. And as he was sitting there with him, he was getting moved by God. He was so moved by God that he took the next four days and he went back home, went to his apartment, and he begins pouring over these same scriptures, pouring over them, asking God, what does this mean for my life? What are you, what are you speaking to me? One night he's having trouble and he's wrestling, trying to fall asleep and thinking about all this. And he says he has a dream. And this dream was so powerful, it impacted the rest of his life. As he, as he dreamed, he pictured the throne room of heaven. And in this, in this dream, he saw Jesus. But Jesus is like described in Revelation with eyes of fire, feet of bronze. And um, Jesus is there doing this very thing, the judgment seat of Christ, evaluating the lives of people in front of him. And he said he saw it, and he said people had these piles in front of them. And, uh, and, and Jesus would come by, and he would ignite those, like dropping a torch, and it would go up. And many of them would have this picture of beautiful, like gems, stones, gold, precious, and they'd just start breaking out and rejoicing. Said he also remembers the sounds of people. They were just, they were broken. They were grieving because they felt such waste of major portions of their life. And they grieved that. Well, as he's there, he's seeing the Lord, his eyes focus. And there are two people that were significant to him in his life. One was his grandmother, Grandma Shipton. She was amazing. She, this lady prayed for everybody. She prayed for him. When he was little, growing up, she'd always say, Ricky, you know I'm praying for you. I pray for you every day. She'd always say that to him. When he was 14, he hated that. In fact, he told his grandmother, I want you to stop praying for me. And he's living in rebellion. It's like, stop it. Just stop praying for me. She never did. She kept praying. In fact, that year, later that year, he was in a service. His father was doing the service. His father leads people in an opportunity to accept Christ. Well, the way Rick recounts this, and he's remembering this true event that he's now reliving in this dream he's having. But his grandma, he, go, he knew it was coming before it even happened. He knew his grandmother was coming. And she puts his hand on his shoulder. And he says, or she says to him, she says, Ricky, it's time. And in that very moment, it's like all the defenses all those walls that he had been building in his life against God, in a moment, 
they could not withstand the prayers that she had prayed all these years. And they fell. Well, he gives his life to Christ. And it's, he's weeping. And it's such a genuine repentance that he has. And it marked his life. It turned. He says he also recalled in his dream the last time he saw his grandmother alive. Much older in life now. She was in her 90s. And he had visited her. And it was the last time he saw her. And she had Alzheimer's. And she had not spoken a really uh, a sentence anybody could understand for over a year. But when he walked in that room, she, she sits up and she says, Ricky, is that you? I pray for you every day. Amazing. Who knows what God does even when the body's decaying? Well, he recounts this in his dream. And now he sees Jesus. He's coming and there's Grandma Shifton and Jesus comes in front of her. And then he hears Jesus say to her something he'd never heard. He'd never heard her first name. He said, Lily Shipton, receive your reward. And he drops it and it goes up and this pile, so huge. And she's rejoicing. She's throwing it back to Jesus. Just the jewels, the, the stone, this beautiful. Well, he's so overcome by the beauty of that moment. He then sees the other person he recognized in the dream, a friend from high school. And uh, this guy made some choices that he regretted. And this guy had a call in his life. He was going to go into full-time ministry, dates a girl. She says, I'll date you, but only if you do not pursue this path. And he agrees. And Rick remembers warning him, said, gosh, be careful. Think about this. It's going to make a big impact on your life. He goes, Ricky, I got this. Relax. And he does it and ends up living his life, believes in God, but really has never given himself at all to the Lord. Now he sees him at the end, and he sees the Lord drop the torch, and it's just scorched ground. He's saved, yes, but what loss he experienced. And then he sees Jesus come to him in the dream. Has the torch with love in his eyes, but he just says, and he called him by the name his father used. He said, Richard. And then he wakes up. Felt like that was a gift for him. God spoke to him that way. And I guess the big thing for him is he took that and he says, I, he lives his life for the next life. He lives today in light of that day. And what a great, great blessing for us to study this. If you are still alive, you're still in the game. You're still on your race. He will reward you. You have life to spend and to offer back to him. So let's do that now. My prayer is that you, just like me, will be marked by these scriptures to live our life in light of that moment. Let's pray. Well, thank you, Lord. It's so good, Jesus, to be in your presence. And you talk about our life being like a vapor. It comes and goes so quickly. So we don't want to squander even this moment. And I just would say if you're in here and you've never accepted Christ, encourage you not to squander the moment. If the Lord's calling on you, speaking to your heart. You say yes to Christ, say, I give you my life, Jesus. And you're praying this in your own mind. I accept your death, your burial, your resurrection. And I want to be in. I want to be part of this family. And I choose to let go of my past. Forgive me for all I've done. And I want to take your path. I follow you. I, I come in the kingdom. If you've prayed that, you are in. You've crossed over.
And I encourage you, write that on your card. People will follow up with you. You know, for all of us, let's just turn to the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that there's grace in this moment to turn, to surrender, whatever we need to surrender. Thank you that there's grace that you're going to lead us even today, how we're supposed to respond. I ask that as we worship right now, as we give these offerings, you'd see it's just from a heart that's pure and free. So may this worship moment be a purifying time for our life that we can live with greater perspective for the next life. So I ask a blessing on every person that's come in here today. Bless this time as we worship in Jesus' name. Go ahead and rise to your feet. Good thing to reflect on. Uh, Just realize the fact that the day you were born, he was there. Every day of your life you walk through, he's there. There's been grace for all that. Today he's here. And he's, I think he's spoken to a lot of us today. And he's going to continue speaking. So I'm going to just encourage you, keep giving your ear to the Lord. He'll direct your life. And uh, one day we get to look forward to this. Revelation 22:12. it says, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. And in Luke 19, where he looks and he says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and join your father's happiness. I'm going to put you in charge of many things the place of the pleasures of God. So may that mark your life, and I'm just going to pray that God would let whatever he wants to cement in each of us be cemented before we walk out. So Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for being among us. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit of God that leads and directs. And so we submit our allegiance to you again. May just allow whatever you want us to be thinking about to stick today that our lives could be lived for the next life and be a blessing to those around us. Lord, we want to pour our life out just like you poured yours out. So I ask that you would fill us and empower us just as you promised you would to fulfill your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a great rest of your Thanksgiving week. Michael will be back with us next week to continue the series. God bless you guys.